Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for the opportunity to even know you. And we are humbled by that fact. And we know that, that you are holy and you are separate unto yourself, that there is none like you. And we know that, that it is only through your son, Jesus Christ, that, that it's even possible that we can enter into a relationship with you. I pray that as we open your word that we, we hear you speak to us through your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would calm our minds from everything that's going on this week, that we would be able to devote ourselves to your teaching. I pray that you would help us learn how to live out the truths that we're about to talk about. We praise you, Father, for everything that you have done for us, for everything that you are doing for us, and everything that you will do. And it's in your Son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. I... Uh, I've been watching a lot of sports dramas lately, uh, so there's going to be several sports analogies in this sermon. It's just kind of where I'm at lately. Uh, a lot of shows, movies, documentaries. I just love it. Um, I love watching a team kind of come together and start to get formed, and, and things are going good, and then they're met with a challenge, and, and, and then I love watching the response that the team has to, the, to a particular challenge. And I'm a huge sucker for underdog stories. I mean, who isn't, right? We all love to see uh, someone win when everybody else counts them out, you know? Um, I love it. Uh, I probably like too many sports movies. Too many to name here, but that's okay. Uh, one that I have seen fairly recently uh, with my kids is uh, Little Giants. I heard a yes. Anybody else? Anybody else see Little Giants? Three. Four, maybe. Okay, that's about the same number as First Service. Yeah, it's not a super famous or popular movie, but I love it and watch it with the kids. It's funny. It's got everything you would want. It's got some comedy. It's got some sibling rivalry. Uh, it's about a Pop Warner uh, football team in, in a small town, and uh, there's a bunch of kids that, that are told they're not good enough to play. They don't make the team, right? So go sit over there. And so they form their own team, you know? And so you got this kind of group of misfits in a way. You know, they've been rejected by the other team and, and they form their own team and then the rest of the movie kind of plays out how they're gonna compete um, at the Pop Warner football level. I love it. Uh, it's even got a sweet montage uh, of, the, of their training. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Every sports movie has just an amazing montage, you know, uh, of training. No sports movie would be complete without the hero going from like bottom to top with about five minutes of push-ups and motivational speeches. <laughs> After that moment, when I'm watching it, I feel like I could go play professional football. And I'm like, just, I can do push-ups for like five minutes. I'm ready. Well, I can't do push-ups for five minutes. Not straight, but I could, I could do some push-ups for five minutes. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just like, yeah, this is awesome. So, um... The movie has it all. 
and, uh, and probably the best part of all sports movies, uh, but this one has it as well, is, is the twist. And you all know what I'm talking about. Things are getting better for the team. They're starting to, starting to gel together. It's looking like they might have some success. And in the little giants in that movie, they lose the player that they think is going to win it all for them. They lose their MVP. It's gone. And you can see it on the players' faces. That's it. It's over. We might as well give up. There's no point of even playing the game. Let's just pack it in. Let's not even show up to the field. And I love this moment because when you see a team met with adversity, that's when you really start to see something special happen. And the Christian life can kind of be like this a little bit, right? Um, when we're first saved, when God first calls us onto his team, we, we often experience this overwhelming joy because we reflect on who we are and who God is and we see, I've been in, I've been in rebellion against God. I've been rejected by people. I've been considered an outcast. And yet God says, no, you are mine. I want you on my team. You come play for me. We experience this overwhelming joy, right? Um, and, uh, and of course, we go through our own kind of training montage, right? We're on fire for the Lord. We start getting into the word more. We start praying more fervently. We're serving all over the place. Oh, you need, you need a... You, you need someone in the kids' ministry over there? You, you need me over here? What, what do you need, right? That, start, that starts to happen. We start, we start to do that. We start to get into community. We start to get involved with Bible studies and things like that, right? And, and, and we see this growth of the team. We're meeting our teammates. There's an excitement. There's a growth. There's a joy that begins to happen. Um, maybe even we go out and, and we win some games. You know, we have some victories. We start to... Uh, experience victory over some sin that maybe we were struggling with or something like that. Maybe, maybe we share our faith with some people and we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit in those people's lives. Maybe even they come to faith, maybe they even come to faith in Christ. But eventually it happens. And it happens to all of us eventually where we are challenged by someone that opposes God. We're going to be mocked for our faith. We're going to be told that the Bible isn't real. Someone's going to look at us and be like, you believe in that stuff? What are you, nuts? That can't be real. Come on, it's just a book, right? You'd be a fool to believe in it. How do we remain faithful to the Lord even in the face of persecution? even when we're being pressured to deny our faith. That's what we're talking about today. How to remain faithful to the Lord. How do we respond to persecution? So if you have your Bibles, please open to Acts 4. Acts chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 23. 
And as you're opening, you'll recall we're continuing in the book of Acts. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, Joe told us that Peter and John uh, were arrested, uh, taken to the Sanhedrin, uh, which was the religious council of the day. And just as Jesus was arrested, it's the same council. Now you have uh, Peter and John before them. And the council tells them that they have to stop preaching the name of Christ. They begin to be persecuted by this council of religious leaders, right? And of course, they could succumb to that, or they could choose to keep preaching them. And as Joe told us, Peter and John say, no, we're not going to stop preaching the name of Christ, because there is one name by which we all must be saved. And that's the name Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah. So, so they say no to the Sanhedrin. We're going to continue. And the Sanhedrin, they go, mm, we got to find something wrong with them so we can keep them here. We can keep them in prison. Maybe even put them to death like we did that other guy. But they can't find anything wrong with them. So they're like, all right, we'll let you go. But you better stop or else. They let him go with some, fret, with, with some threats. And, um, and Peter and John, they return back to the locker room to be with their teammates right after being threatened. And their response to this persecution is what we're going to be looking at. So, Acts chapter 4. And as we read, we'll see that believers should respond to persecution with praise and petition. Believers should respond to persecution with praise and petition. Let's begin. Verse 23. And we see how the believers respond in praise. The text says, When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, and all that is in them. So Peter and John are released, and they go back to their own people, the people who believe in Jesus. Uh, the Greek here is actually just their own, right? Some, some translations will, will have an, an italics uh, of companions. Uh, translations do different things, but what Luke is doing here with the language is that there's Jewish, there, there's Jewish people who don't believe in Christ, and then there's Jewish people that do believe in Christ. Peter and John went back to the people that believe, went back to their teammates. And so Luke's setting up this idea that there's two, two groups of people here that we're going to be seeing kind of play out. And we start to see this play out through the rest of the book of Acts. And we look at it, we see that they lifted their voice in praise. And the word there is actually singular, voice, their voice. It's showing unity within this new body of believers. And this theme of unity will also continue throughout the book of Acts. And notice their praise is grounded in God's sovereignty. I'll say it again. Their praise is grounded in God's sovereignty. The believers, uh, they note that it is God who creates. And the word Lord in verse 24, normally in the Greek text, in the New Testament, when you see the word Lord, normally it's the word kurios. That's the, the normal use of that word. 
is for Lord. But here, it's really interesting. Only a handful of places in the New Testament, this word is used, and it's actually the word despota, okay? It's where we get our English word despot from. In English, that word kind of means uh, a, a ruler or a master that executes um, absolute authority, often in a harsh way. So there's this negative connotation about it. But in the Greek, there was no negative connotation. There wasn't. That came later with the use of that word. So when the believers lift up their voice with one accord and they use this word, what they're saying is, you are creator and you are sovereign, you are ruler and master of all and you execute authority. But there's no negative to that. That is a good thing. And that's why we see some of that servant language here in that passage. They recognize that. And they're living that out. So, they recognize him as master over all. Because he created everything. But let's look and see how their praise is also grounded in God's word. So their praise is grounded in God's sovereignty, but it's also grounded in God's word. They prayed, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Verse 25. Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And and you'll recall that Christ there is really just the word for Messiah or God's chosen, God's anointed, right? And this, this is a reference to Psalm 2. It's a royal psalm. It's a, it's a well-known song by Jewish, psalm by Jewish people. Um, it would be used all over in a myriad of places. King David wrote it. Yes, King David wrote it. But notice already within the early church the recognition of the dual authorship of Holy Scripture. David wrote it but it was through the Holy Spirit. It was by the Holy Spirit. So the believers are able to respond to persecution with poise because they know God is sovereign and they know his word. Now why is, why is knowing his word important? Well, we're going to talk about that. This messianic reference is so important, and it's referenced throughout the New Testament in several places. Look at verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So the believers, they know God's word, they know he's sovereign, and they begin to link this psalm with what's going on in that day. They begin to link God's, God's anointed and the people that are against God's anointed in King David's day in Psalm 2 with God's anointed Jesus Christ and the people who are against Christ in their day. In your Bibles, in the margin, you can underline words or maybe on your note sheet, whatever you want to do. Take note of this. Notice verse 25, 
the word Gentiles. Sometimes it's also translated nations, okay? Some, tra some translations will have nations. It's linked with the Gentiles in verse 27. Same Greek word. Peoples, in verse 25, links with the people of Israel, in verse 27. Kings, in verse 26, is linked with Herod, in verse 27. This is Herod uh, Antipas, who was uh, filling the role of the regional kind of Jewish king. That's how, that's how he was functioning uh, of the day, at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Last look at rulers, in verse 26, and that's linked with Pontius Pilate in verse 27. Pilate was the, the Roman ruler who gave in to the mob of people of both Jew and Gentile calling for Jesus' death, and he gave the order. And yet, even though God's anointed, even though the Messiah, Jesus Christ, even though he was crucified and put to death, and yet, Verse 28 tells us that it was all according to God's sovereign plan. It was all according to God's sovereign plan. This is how the believers responded to persecution. They responded with praise. Praise that is grounded in God's sovereignty and God's word. And the same people that arrested Jesus are now after the church. The very same council. The church doesn't flinch because they know that he is sovereign. They know that his word is true. So they know who the Messiah is, and they know that the Messiah brings victory. So they can be confident in that. And I got to tell you, when, when we read the scriptures, sometimes we, we read it and we don't think it has anything to do with us. It's just history. And it is history. And it's part of our heritage. And we learn and we grow by understanding how believers before us lived. But we are all going to face persecution. It is going to happen. Maybe some of you are experiencing it now. Maybe some of you have already experienced it. But if you haven't, it's going to happen. To some degree, we can all sense the shifting sands that we're, that we're trying to stand on that we're experiencing right now. In fact, um, when we read this text um, and we see that the Sanhedrin really just wanted them to stop preaching Christ, that's what they said. When we look today, people don't care really if you love God in general. People don't seem to have a problem if you want to love others out of some felt moral obligation. Those are good things in general. But you mentioned the name Jesus Christ. Things can get a little bit difficult for you. You might get one of these. Oh, oh, you're one of those people. You might not feel it right now in Del Rio, Texas, but I guarantee you that things are changing. Ah. Back in the day, it used to be you could be a Christian and still kind of be cool. You could be in the club. There was, a, um, there was potentially a social status with being in the club of Christianity. That is, it's gone, and it's going away even more quickly. 
And I'm not telling you this to scare you. I'm telling you this so that you understand that persecution is it's, it's right there. And we want to be faithful in the midst of it. The, um, they're finding that persecution even exists in elementary schools in this country. Just imagine a child in elementary school at that age coming to faith in Christ and then being persecuted for it at that age. I, I don't want to experience persecution at my age, but in elementary school, that can be devastating. Uh, the company uh, Pew Research, a couple of years ago, they conducted a survey and um, they found that half of all Americans, half, 50% of all Americans believe that evangelicals are facing discrimination. That was two years ago. Things have only progressed since then. They also found that about 32% of all Americans, and this is a direct quote, so I'm going to read it because I don't want to get this wrong. 32% of all Americans like conservative Christians significantly less than other social groups. 32% of all Americans like conservative Christians significantly less. I didn't add that. That was part of their study. They like Christians significantly less than other social groups. And conservative here, just to be clear, does not refer to a political affiliation. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a conservative Christian, one that holds to conservative traditional values of Christianity. So conservative would mean you believe this is the word of God. Inerrant and authoritative. You believe that Jesus actually existed. You believe that when this says that Christ died and was buried and rose again, that it actually happened. Because we talked about this several weeks ago, but there is a group of Christians that don't believe this is the word of God. But they call themselves Christian. They don't believe that Jesus actually existed, but they call themselves Christian. They don't believe that he died and was buried and was resurrected, but they call themselves Christian. So this is saying that if you are here and you are hearing my voice and you believe that this is the word of God and true and authoritative and you believe in Jesus, that he actually died for your sins, you are a conservative Christian. Just like Peter and John were. And one in three people in America like you less because of it. That's what this research actually found. They like you less. Why? Because you believe in Christ and you want to follow him. Persecution is real and it's coming. And when we are met with persecution, this very belief that we just talked about can actually help us. Being grounded in God's sovereignty and steeped in his word provides sure footing even when it seems like the ground is shaking even when it seems like we've had the wind knocked out of us and the other team is too strong. We're not going to escape persecution as long as we remain faithful to Christ. You might be able to escape persecution if, if you're not faithful because that's what the Sanhedrin wanted. They just wanted Peter and John 
to stop preaching Christ? And they said, no. We are faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to stop. So that's when the threats came. And that's when the persecution begins to come. But we can withstand it. When we lean on God's sovereignty and we know his word, his word that says things like this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul wrote that. We're going to meet Paul very soon in the book of Acts. He delights in the face of persecution. Why? Because he knows God's sovereignty and he knows his word. He knows victory is the Lord's. Amen? Yeah. So, if believers respond to persecution with praise that is grounded in God's sovereignty and in his word, what about the petition? What should believers ask for in the midst of persecution? Well, let's look at verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. How amazing, how amazing is this? We see that the believers ask for confidence. They ask for boldness. Boldness to press on and continue their ministry. Continue to proclaim, even in the face of persecution. They don't ask for the destruction of those who persecute them. I might. There's times when I want to. They don't ask for the destruction of those who persecute them. This is, this is a church that is sacrificial, that understands what Jesus did on the cross, and that it is for all who come to faith. So they ask for confidence. They don't, even, they don't even ask for the persecution to be lifted, to be lessened. They don't ask for that. We see later in the book of Acts that, that it's completely right for, to pray for people to be saved from persecution. It, it absolutely is. But here, this initial response of the early church, they don't ask for that. They ask to remain faithful. They ask to meet that persecution head on and to be able to live through it, and to continue to preach the name of Christ. They know the victor is the sovereign God, and that his word is true, so they ask for confidence to be able to be strong and to stand in that truth. It, it's sort of this picture of a, of a team that won't give in. Um, I know I've got more sports analogies, I'm sorry, but I don't typically use them so I'm going to try to get most of them out, and, and then hopefully we won't have many more later. But, okay, so a team that won't give in. I'm thinking, like, maybe the Dallas Cowboys. You know, 
They're trying to get to that first down. They just, they're going to do it this time? <laughs> they're trying to get to the first down. They just got to get a first down, right? But, but maybe they're up against like this really, really, really good opponent, like the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> and no matter how hard they try, they just can't get through. They're like, oh gosh, every time we try to pass the ball, it gets, it gets batted down. Every time we try to run the ball, the Green Bay Packers are there to stop us. What, what, would, <laughs> what would our response be? What would our response be if we're watching this and we see the Dallas Cowboys just go, oh, I give up. What's the point? I'm not even going to try to pass the ball anymore. I'm not even going to try to run it. Let's just, uh, everybody back on the bus. We're done. Let's just, let's just call it. What would our response be? We'd probably look at them and be like, man, y'all are weak. Are you kidding me? You're nuts. You're just going to give up because the, the other team is making it hard on you? Y'all are a bunch of sissies. Come on. That's probably what our response would be. And, and why would that be a response? Well, because we'd look at them and we'd be like, they don't understand that, the, that true success happens when you are trying to move forward and there's someone there that's trying to stop you. That's, that's when true success can really happen. And the community of believers is ready here. They're saying, put me in, coach. I'm not going down. I'm not going to give up. I will trust in your plan. I got the playbook. What do you want from me, coach? Go and make disciples. You got it. I'm ready. I don't, I don't care if they try to lock me up. I'm ready. I'm not going to stop preaching the name of Christ. That's what the church is saying here. They're like, let's do this. I don't care if it is the Green Bay Packers. We're able to stand up and endure rather than look for an easy way out. Just like the early churches. We're able to do that too. And one of the things that helps us do that is when we see that what we're being persecuted for is worthy. If we are met with persecution, but we see that the reason for that persecution, there is worth to it, that can spur us on to meet the challenge head on. Let me give you an example of this, another, another sports analogy. But this one's from a movie, all right? I, I didn't make this one up, because we all know Green Bay can't stop anybody, so... <sighs> It's unfortunate. But anyways, um, from a movie, okay? Uh, another movie of mine that I like, I have not seen it in a long time. I hope to be able to watch it someday with my kids. But Rocky Five. Anybody? Rocky Five? Yeah, like, okay, so like two people. See, this is what happens. Rocky One, everyone. Yeah, two, three, four. You don't usually get past four with most people. But we're going to go to Rocky Five today, okay? Rocky Five. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the story just real quick in case you haven't seen it, okay? You got this guy, Tommy Gunn. He's this new young fighter. He's kind of up and coming. And, and Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion himself, he's kind of old, you know? He, he's worn out. He's beat down. He, he's, he's just, you know, he's been in too many fights. But he sees this kid, and he's like, I'm going to train this kid, right? So he trains this kid, and and he becomes like an amazing fighter, world class, right? 
But it all goes through his head. He gets a little big for his britches. He starts running his mouth. But Rocky doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't need to. There's nothing worth fighting about yet. Until the last, like, 15 minutes of the movie. And Tommy Gunn shows up to Rocky's house. And he's like, I'm going to whoop you, old man, in front of your family, in front of your wife, in front of your kid. <sighs> well, now Rocky's got a reason to fight, right? And I'm not going to ruin the movie for you, but <laughs> when we see that there is a reason to fight, when we see that there is worth and value, that can spur you on to meet the challenge headfirst, even if you feel beat up and tired even if you feel drugged down, like your opponent is too good. When you see the worth there, it can help you. When we are persecuted on account of Christ, we must be a community that's ready to pray for confidence and boldness, to continue in faithfulness even in the face of persecution. And when we see that Christ is, there's nothing more worthy than him in this world, that'll help us. Amen? Now, I know some of you might be thinking, I've already failed. You know, I've made too many mistakes. I've, uh, I've tried to stand up and I've gotten knocked down. I've tried to share my faith. And it doesn't go well. I've tried to be a witness, and I just, I just can't do it. I'm too weak. Maybe, maybe if I was one of the believers in the early church, and I was there to see the signs and wonders, or I was there to actually walk with Jesus and see him, I would be able to do it, but oh, I just can't now. I want you to know, if that's you, if you have felt that, you are not alone. I have felt that. There are people here that have felt that. In fact, we all will feel that way. That is, that is a normal thing to feel that. But God is a God of second chances. And let, let me remind you where Peter and John were just a little bit ago. Yes, I know they just stood firm in front of the Sanhedrin and said that they were not going to stop preaching Christ. They stared persecution in the face. But keep your place here and turn with me just, just probably a few pages backward to Luke 22. As you're turning there, the, um, you may recall this is just after uh, when Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room. He, he instituted the Lord's Supper. He, um, he told them that one of them would betray him. He, uh, he washed their feet. After all of that, that, that's when we kind of enter the text here. They, um, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives to pray. And, uh, and just, before, just before they go to the Garden, Peter makes this bold statement. Look at uh, Luke 22, verse 33. Peter says... Um, says to Jesus, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. I'm ready to go anywhere 
I don't care what they bring. I don't care if they lock me up. I don't care if they kill me. I am going to go with you. But, but we know Peter's story, don't we? And we know what Jesus says next. He says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Right after saying he's going to go with him to death, he doesn't care if he gets locked up, Jesus says, nope, you're actually going to fail. That's what he says. And then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. It's right outside the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus tells his disciples in verse 40, pray that you may not enter into temptation, right? And then he goes about a stone's throw away to be alone and to pray himself. And he comes back. And what does he see the disciples doing? They're all praying? No, they're what? They're sleeping. They're sleeping. In verse 46, he says to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You don't have to turn there, but uh, Mark's account of the same, of the same record gives a, a little bit of a different coloring. Uh, when Peter um, says his bold statement that he's willing to be imprisoned and, and even die for Christ, uh, Mark records it a little bit differently. It says, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. I'm Peter. I'm the rock. I'm your guy. Put me in, coach, no matter what. And then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and in Mark's account, Jesus goes to pray, comes back, sees them sleeping, and then he goes to pray again, comes back, sleeping again. And Mark records that it's actually Peter, James, and John. So we have Peter and John here, the two people that were just before the Sanhedrin, falling asleep, asleep on the job. They can't follow Christ. Jesus says to Peter, what are you doing? You couldn't even pray for one hour? You couldn't even watch and pray for one hour? Peter had failures also. But we remember the rest of the story, that God is a God of second chances. He restores Peter. And we see the change happen, where now when we flip to Acts 4, Does Peter even look the same anymore? He couldn't stay awake when Jesus asked him to, and now he's ready. He's ready to stand up and continue to preach Christ and lead the church. I submit to you that the believers actually learned from this. Because moments after the believers in the garden were sleeping, Jesus was arrested and taken to the Sanhedrin, right? Well, here, when the MVP is gone, Peter and John are arrested and taken to the Sanhedrin. And what do the believers do when they come back? Do they fall asleep? Are they asleep on the job? No, they pray. They've learned. They've learned. Because God is rich in mercy, and he restores Peter so that now he does not deny Christ. And the same can be true of us. 
God is calling us not to shrink back, not to be asleep at the wheel, to pray to him, to recognize his sovereignty, to be steeped in his word, so that no matter how many times we feel like we may have failed, he can restore us, get us back in the game. This time, the believers actually pray for confidence. They pray for boldness. And then look at verse 31. God answers them. Verse 31 of Acts chapter 4. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. God shook the place where they were as a confirmation that he heard their prayer. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit so that they can continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Isn't it interesting? The very ground and the building may have shook, but these early believers were not going to be shaken. The same power that shakes the ground also gives sure footing to the believer so that they can stand firm. And, you know, as we seek to be a community that's ready to respond to persecution with faithfulness, we need to know God's sovereignty in his word. And we need to go to God in unity and in unified prayer, praising him and asking him for boldness and confidence. And we have an amazing opportunity today. It's not every Sunday that we have a fellowship lunch. I wish it was every Sunday, especially when Steve's cooking hamburgers, because yes, I am one of the people that thinks it might be some of the best burgers in all Del Rio. Uh, I just report, you decide. Uh, but I, I, I love these hamburgers. Anyways, we have a fellowship lunch today, and this is an amazing opportunity today to grow in unity with our fellow believers. It is an opportunity to reflect upon God's sovereignty and his word. It, if this passage impacted you today, tell someone about that. Maybe it, maybe it reminded you of a moment where you did face persecution. And maybe, maybe you couldn't stand up to it. But you sharing that with someone may encourage them. Or maybe you did stand up to it. And that can be an encouragement. But either way, what an amazing opportunity. As we're all chowing down on some amazing burgers to talk to one another, to pray for one another, to prepare ourselves for the potential persecution that may come. What an amazing opportunity today. We need to ask God to help, help us see his sovereignty and to be able to stand firm on his word. Now, I left you with a little bit of a cliffhanger with the uh, little giants. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap that up. Yes, the MVP was taken. Their star player, 
the one in whom they put all their hopes. But do you know what happened to these kids, these little kids, these misfit kids? A bus shows up, and who's on the bus if you've seen the movie? Anybody? John Madden and a whole bunch of all-star football players. And they train up these kids, these kids that were ready to just, you know, throw it in, not even show up to the game. You've, you've, you've got them telling them that, oh, you just need some intimidation. You need to believe. you got to do this and do that. You see a little montage of this training that's happening. And they even explain, you know, you can do it. What you need to understand is fo football's only 40% physical, 80% mental. <laughs> Makes perfect sense to me. As was pointed out to me, the math actually works out because your coach always tells you you need to give 110%. Well, if you're given 110% but the other team's given 120, you're still going to lose, right? <laughs> we have the playbook right here. We know that God is sovereign. We know that his Messiah brings victory. We can stand firm on these truths. Facing persecution in our lives is 40% physical, maybe 80% spiritual. All I know is I'm, on, I'm glad I'm on God's team. I'm glad I have teammates that I can count on. And I know that when I'm discouraged, I can look to you all to help build me up, to help remind me of God's sovereign power and his word. And I hope that I'm able to do the same for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it helps us to see that believers should respond to persecution with praise and petition. We thank you that you are sovereign over all, that you are creator, that you are in control, that all things are under your power. We thank you that your word is true and that you bring hope and restoration through your son, Jesus Christ. That even when we make mistakes, we know we can be picked back up. We can get back in the game. Father, we ask that you would help us be a community that is bold and confident in who you are and what you are doing through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that, that you would continue to make us confident, that you would help, help us meet meet the challenges head on, that we wouldn't shrink away, that we wouldn't be found asleep on the job. Help us to stand firm. Continue to preach the name of Christ. And it's in his name. Amen.